Welcome to The Code, your guide to health and human performance. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Fix from Physio Room, a performance-based rehab facility here in Denver. On this podcast, we're going to explore the key areas of your life that impact your overall health and wellness, from sleep hygiene and stress management to nutrition, movement, relationships, and more. We bring you conversations with industry experts and top performers to share strategies they have for cracking the code on health and human performance. Now let's get to today's show. What's going up, guys? Welcome back to The Code. Dr. Andrew Fix from Physio Room here. And uh, again, you've heard this on a different episode. We're sitting inside of B23, talking with owner Bo Doring at B23 Athletics. So, Bo, welcome to the show. Welcome to The Code. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Well, great to be here. Thanks for having me in the gym so we can do this. But, um, you know, I've, I don't know how many months it's been, less than a year probably, that uh, since I've met you and gotten to know you a little bit through some conversations. But people on this show probably don't know much about you. So will you share a little bit about uh, your background, who you are, and how did you come to uh, open this gym? Uh, background, uh, multi-sport athlete from San Diego, California. Um, I've had a sampler platter of careers, sampler platter of passions, and um, got into fitness around, well, I've been a, you know, I'm a self-titled recovery meathead, right? So I did the gym thing for a long time and then got into endurance. Um, got into kind of ran the whole gamut found crossfit in 2009 and was just getting out of the military uh i was an engineer at the time and i just decided that i wanted to work with human beings and not machinery and computers um i've been teaching like some of my first memories are like teaching kids how to do backflips off the swings when i was like you know five six years old yeah so I've always kind of been a teacher at heart and then uh, did the CrossFit thing for a while, small competitions, um, and then just kind of continued to peek behind the curtain of strength and conditioning and started seeking mentors and finding out everything I could. And um, that led to a uh, couple different gyms, a couple different passions, strongman, powerlifting, um, and then opened D23 in 2016. Awesome. And haven't looked back since. So yeah. Then first, first B23 in 2016, which is a little more of an exclusive barbell club. Um, working with some NFL and combine athletes as well. And then uh, that blossomed into what we have here now. So, yeah, six years later, it's been a wild ride. Sweet, sweet. Well, um, let's unpack a little bit of that. So, and, you know, just for, for the record, one of the things that... I like the most about this gym is kind of like the culture of it and the feeling of the environment when I walk in. But um, you're from San Diego, but of course we're in Colorado now. When did you move here? When did you move to Colorado? So I was an engineer. I'd gotten out of the Air Force in 2006. Got the first job I wanted. I was the 21st employee with a company called Bosch Global Services uh, doing. Uh, unmanned aerial vehicles. So a lot of the looks like PlayStation thing where they're flying the plane somewhere, blowing yeah. some stuff up, doing, doing whatever. Um, did that for a number of years and was living in Vegas at the time. Fitness was always kind of at the at the heart of what I did, and I wanted something more. I left the security, you know, left the security of a you know the bachelor life. Of, yeah, you know, a thirty three hundred square foot house in Vegas. Everybody thinks you're living the dream, but I was just pretty unfulfilled with what I was doing. And my folks had just moved to Colorado and opened up a steakhouse. So 
I figured I've always been avid outdoors. I com competed in downhill mountain biking for a very short period until I found out I was awful at it. <laughs> and uh, which is the best way to find out if you should do something, right? Is that uh, feedback loop? And moved out here to help my folks up with the steakhouse in 2009. Uh, See, I was going to say, and you like steak. So, yeah, I like steak. So, it's a natural uh, connection there, natural yeah. connection, affinity for red meat. And that was on the western slope. So for those that aren't familiar with Colorado, the Western Slope is gorgeous, but it is, I moved out with the intention that everyone here snowboards, everybody has a truck with three mountain bikes on it, living this incredibly active lifestyle, and Western Slope, I love it, it has a special place in my heart, but it's a little different than the Front Ranges, for those that are familiar with Colorado, not familiar. So, as a security blanket, so I was out there for about two years in a security blanket. At that point, I made the decision that I knew I was going to go in strength and conditioning. I knew I enjoyed working with people. Fitness has always been a common denominator in my life, yeah. whether it was a baseball player. Um, it was through hard times or great times. Fitness was the one thing that I could always rely on. And, you know, we can delve into it later, but even getting into this, as broke as I've been, because you don't make a lot of money when you get into strength and conditioning, sure. especially yeah. fitness from general population. Some of the hardest times of my life, it was my gym membership and my fitness and my health that got me through. And not only that, but also provided me the opportunity down the road. It was like preparing for what I didn't know I was going to do. Yeah. Right. Um, subconsciously. So as a security blanket, I knew I was committing to strength and conditioning and fitness. So I deployed back to Afghanistan as a contracted engineer. And that's where I really dug in. So and for those of you like, in Afghanistan, if you're not actively engaged, it's like being in prison, right? The, you don't want to be bored in prison. So what do you do in prison? You work out, you read books. You want to keep yourself occupied and keep yourself busy. Not that I've been in prison, but I would, <laughs> I would imagine, right? So I spent that nine or 10 months that I was in Afghanistan. Just When was that? That was 2011, 2011. Okay. And I just dug into everything. Uh, we weren't incredibly busy out there, this small Ford operating base. But it was, I was, every YouTube video, every coach, every, I found a lot of the mentors that I still have today, even passively, right? There's people that have, that have inspired me. Yeah. Um, a lot of those set the foundation and the philosophy for how I still guide my training today. So was out there in 2011, moved. That's when I also decided I was going to come to the front range. There's far more opportunity out here. And ended up getting connected with the gentleman who owns CrossFit now, Eric Rosa, phenomenal leader, tech CEO, and phenomenal guy. He had just opened a very, very large gym in Boulder, Colorado. I yeah. never thought I would end up in Boulder. And this gym opened up, and I was coaching at another gym at the time and bartending, actually. And a friend of mine told me this huge gym was opening up. I'm like, how did this, how did I not know about this? So went over there. They just they just opened their door. They had just opened their doors in this large facility. And they didn't have a spot for me. Okay. They said, "Hey, like we'd love to have you on, but our slots are filled. You can hang out and work out." And so that's what I did. So my first real fitness position, I didn't get paid for probably six to eight weeks. Uh, I just showed up every day, and if barbell storage needed to be mounted on the wall, that's what I did. I would greet custom greet. People who were coming into the gym, like it was my own business. And when they saw that, there was one coach out there, I think he's still in the area, actually, that was bombing a base camp. Bombing. I mean, horrible. 
and the head coach just has his head in his hands like this, and he's watching this. I was about watching this shit show go on in front of him. And he's like, Bo, get in there, here's your chance. And so I went in there and that was it. There it is. Um, there it is. And then next thing you know, I was running the strength program, ran the competitor program there for a little bit, but it was like anything else. And it's my curiosity led me to continue to peek behind more and more curtains. So yeah. what started with general population fitness and led into more of the principles of strength and conditioning, which led to strongman, which led to powerlifting, which led to me training, you know, some pretty significant like yeah. professional athletes. And I'm not going to name drop or anything, but it was all about the curiosity, just continuing to ask why, ask why, yeah. ask why, and peek behind those curtains that that's what V23 is. Sure. So where when people go to our website or they go to our Instagram, they're like, what do these people do here? Like I see like this 260-pound strongman mutant throwing around 300 pound logs, but then I also see them doing these crazy like 75-minute endurance pieces. Like, and everybody has big button, big traps. Like, what is going on there? Because yeah. it doesn't say it's crossfit, it doesn't say it's powerlifting or whatever. So it's defined as to limit. So when people ask what we do here, like we teach the principles of strength and conditioning at a, a level that exceeds expectation, mm -hmm. which is not an answer people like. They yeah. want to know, like, I want to, I, how, when am I going to lose my weight? Yeah. When, when is this going to happen? Because it's a gray area, right? Like, but it's, it's not a black and white answer. It's an exploration. Yeah. It's an exploration. So, like, I jokingly told you, for those that we just wrapped up a little conditioning piece, um, it's, oh, where was I going with that? I totally just lost my track. But it's, I think it, what, I've learned and the way I teach is more of a philosophy yeah. of strength and conditioning rather than the science of strength and conditioning. And this is why you can jump on YouTube right now and there's a tutorial for how to get a 700 pound back squat, how to climb Everest barefoot, right? Wim Hof stuff. All of these very high achievers, there are tutorials. We know the X's and O's. So we know the X's and O's, but when we go to Costco, we see the general population and the, all this information is free, then what's missing? What's missing is the stepping stone from getting, building a physically fulfilling life is much different than building Ikea furniture. Yeah. You can't just open the instructions and go A, B, C, D, and now I have the vanity mirror I want. Fitness, the fitness does not work like that, right? Yeah. So then what's missing? What's missing is, guidance what's missing is some some passion and some hard work right so that's when we talk about like the philosophy of this stuff the people i know that are most successful have the whys in the house locked down they're almost more important than the what oh for sure and i'm sure you see that in your side of the practice on the opposite side of what we do right oh totally yeah i mean and i totally agree with you there's a awesome book simon sinek right like start with why the what and the how are not as important as the why, because if you don't have that, whether you're talking about business, whether you're talking about fitness or, you know, holding yourself accountable, whatever you're talking about, that's the driving force, right? Like, and if you don't have that, it's so easy for things to get derailed, right? If you, um, you were mentioning the air force, right? If you are one degree off over the course of flying some lengthy distance, you're going to be way off course, right? It's one degree, but it makes a massive, massive difference over the course of time. Right. So what does that tell you? That trajectory, mm -hmm. right, is more important than your current location. Yes. And if that's not a metaphor for how we should approach strength and conditioning, even from, let's talk about the general fitness, where 
you know, scaling, I hope I'm not getting too off track here, but it's like everybody knows how to scale things down. Everybody knows that pull up, you drop to a ring row to before you squat, you double squat or whatever the, whatever the thing is. But do we know how to scale up? Because I know a lot of people that have been pretty good for a long time. I know people have been doing this five, six, seven, ten years that haven't made real progress. And you could probably make an argument that they might have almost started getting a little worse because now they start running into injury. They yeah. start running into stagnation. Now their attention span, so they're bouncing around from gym to gym trying to find a solution rather than taking responsibility for where they're at, yeah. slowing down and starting to put some mastery into it rather than doing the thing. Yeah. And one of the metaphors I use is you have your pen and your tablet in front of you. Um, it's a good thing I don't have that because my handwriting is, <laughs> is horrible. And my handwriting is horrible because at some point my handwriting got good enough that everybody could understand it. Mm -hmm. And so I stopped improving that. Sure. So what does that tell you about your 10,000 hour rule? That if I'm, if I'm not getting active feedback on my handwriting, right? I know it's, it's awful. Trust me. Like, you know, the doctor like scribble, like it's, we joke on when anytime we don't have a whiteboard here Yeah. because we had a whiteboard. It looks like hieroglyphics. It's like carry paintings, right? And it's because at some point along the way, my handwriting got good enough for what I used it for. Yeah. So what does that tell us about with, with the fitness thing? At some point, if I'm not getting feedback and I'm not striving, doing active measures to improve, yeah. then at some point, my fitness is just going to get good enough. Mm -hmm. Right. And if I'm not one to really walk the path of good enough. And I don't know where that came from. I think yeah. there's always been an innate curiosity with me to like, how do we move this forward? How do we, how do we improve? How do we improve? To delve even deeper yeah. when it comes to injury, when it, we scale intensity, right? Intensity is always talked about in the, in the, the fitness realm, right? Intensity, movement. <laughs> but when it comes to complexity, now complexity with human movement is one thing that the, the body has a, how would I say it? There's no ceiling for complexity. Sure. There's a ceiling for, now when you talk about capacity, there's a ceiling for that based on your GPB, right? There's only so much you're going to be able to squat until your back, until your back gets stronger. There's only so much you're going to deadlift until this improves. And if you try to, outperform your capacity too often, yeah. you end up in physio room. You end up better off. That's right. But with complexity, that's one of the ways that we can continue to increase and scale up yeah. for a long time and stay relatively injury-free. There's no way you can do this for any significant amount of time without bumps and bruises. Sure. We all know that. Do you know how I learned about my body? Bumps and bruises. Yeah. A lot of bumps and bruises, right? So I think less that's... than... Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the bumps and bruises and things, I think, is one of the things that, fortunately or unfortunately, I mean, unfortunate that I had some of the injuries and things that I had. Fortunate, though, I learned from every one of those situations. It makes me a better provider. I can relate to people. I've gone through it myself. I understand, you know, the shoes that they're in, even if we don't have the exact same condition going on, right? I get it. I've been there. Um, and I'm a better off athlete for it because... I improved other things along the way that otherwise probably would have never been improved because they were good enough. Right. Yeah. Just like you kind of said, but I like the point that you made about 
mostly everybody knows how to regress things and scale things down when it's too difficult for somebody. But there's often a ceiling on what people's ability is to scale things up, right? And I see that a lot of times in, in our industry, in the physical therapy rehab kind of industry, is I hear therapists say something along the lines of, well, they're not in pain anymore, so they don't need to be in physical therapy. Like when, when did the definition of physical therapy mean someone has to be in pain in order for you to help them optimize their function? Because function and pain, like, you know, the goal is function and the goal is optimizing function. If there are symptoms, well, hopefully we can get those to improve along the way. But I've had conversations with people a lot about, you know, maybe someone has really significant knee arthritis and they have pain. That doesn't mean that we can't still get you stronger despite the fact that you have pain so that you can go up and down the stairs easier. You can get, you know, where you need to go. You can pick up your grandkids, like whatever it is, even though you have pain, like, do you want pain to stop you from functioning or do you want to still be able to function despite having that? Yeah. And I see that a lot. Physical therapists as a whole are, are great at regressing things and bringing things down to easier and easier ways to do it. But there's often a ceiling on like, can you help someone who is not in pain and who generally speaking does things fairly well? Can you help them do them better? And there is a significant limit to, I think the profession as a whole on people's ability to do that, which is why we need relationships. You need to know like, you know, what is your expertise? What is someone else's expertise, right? Like I am not going to put together a program for someone to train for a strongman competition. I'm gonna send them over to here, over to you guys, right? To do that, because I know my limitations on that. Now that doesn't mean I won't, don't wanna get better, but um, but yeah, I see exactly what you're talking about all the time, all the time in the office. Not, not in our office, our, our providers do an awesome job at this because we look at things through that lens of performance and of, of longevity, not of let's get you out of pain, yeah. right? It's of let's get you to function more optimally and along the way, your symptoms will probably go away, but that's not the goal. The goal is the function and the performance. Right. And our focus is, you know, I talk with a lot of practitioners. It's, it's ubiquitous across practitioners on your end and my end that everybody's talking about bridging this gap. Yeah. But we have to bridge a gap because yeah, sure. you can't clamshell your way back, you know, doing clamshells. Pardon my French, but like you can't do clamshells on the turf like a loser for six months and expect to come back and compete or deadlift 600 pounds right also you can't get a 600 pound deadlift without running into that wall too many times where you need uh where you need to seek therapy and move better and, and yeah. slow down re-engineer and improve because sometimes you have to put too much salt on the food to know it's too much salt on the food sometimes the pendulum swings swings too far and unfortunately if you want to do this for any significant amount of time that's going to happen the pendulum is going to swing too far that's how we learn but there's a difference like there are corrective exercises and there's exercising correctly. Sure. And I think yeah. and with the focus, we spend thousands and thousands. I mean, I know athletes not here, but they spend thousands of dollars on corrective exercises, but they won't spend on a gym membership or hiring a coach. So it's what we're trying to do is get more of a focus on exercising correctly. And I think if that's the focus now 
there's a lot to unpack there because exercising correctly puts some responsibility in the athlete's hands, sure. which makes them learn, right? So now we're adding complexity. We're adding more conversation, but an athlete that knows how to exercise correctly, what I have observed understands corrective exercises better when they go to see somebody like you yeah, because they have the basic movement lexicon. They know how they know what the lats are supposed to do in their bench press. They know whether they feel their hamstrings in the bottom of their squat or they're collapsing forward. So an athlete with a more advanced taste or more advanced lexicon and what we do by exercising correctly, when they go to see you, yeah. number one, that's going to make your job light years easier. Oh. Yep. And number two, when you give them the corrective exercise to do, they're going to ask you questions. Yeah. They're going to say, hey, like, no, dude, I need eyes on. Am I doing this right or am I not? Right. To where a lot of practitioners even, um, you know, when, when we've, where we, you and I have bridged the gap is it's critical for me as a coach that the practitioner I'm speaking with understands the language and the lens in which I view it. And the more coaches I've worked with, that's how I've refined my own lens, the strength and conditioning. I've been to some phenomenal gyms and I've been to some dumpster fire gyms. I've seen phenomenal practitioners and I've worked with dumpster fire practitioners. And it's through that that I groomed my own taste and who I want to work with. And it's because of the gyms I've gone to that has groomed my taste into what B23 is today. And I got invited to Westside Barbell in three weeks for a private training session. I may come back with a lot of information and we may change everything. Yeah. Not saying that will happen, but let's bring it back around to refusing to define and to define is to limit. V23 is going to be a different expression next year than it is this year. Sure. Thank God it's different than it was six years ago. And thank God it's different than it was when I opened my first CrossFit gym in 2009. I didn't know that I wasn't the owner but I helped an individual open it because I knew light years more about strength and conditioning than they did. And I had people puking during my warmups, <laughs> right? So thank God that it has evolved that way. Mm. But my concern is I go into the next stage of kind of my coaching career is like, how do I coach coaches? Yeah. And how do I get coaches to break the dogma of the thing? And let's just call, um, this is not anti-CrossFit. Let's just call CrossFit the thing. How can I break your framework that fitness is more than thrusters and wall balls? Mm -hmm. How can I break that? Because I don't know how deep we want to go into this. At the highest level, guess what they're not doing a whole lot of? Yeah. A whole lot of thrusters and wall balls until it's competitive season. What are they doing? They're essentially training. I'm not saying, I'm not, well, how do I say this? <laughs> they're doing aerobic work, they're doing strength work, and they're doing gymnastics. Sure. Let's yeah. do that. We don't need to always constantly mix it up yeah. into this unknown and unknowable. Because yeah. like we, we talked about, I know what my athletes are doing outside the gym. My general population is doing outside the gym for 16 hours a day. They're sitting down. What kind of know, they're, they're, and yeah. they're more active than most, right? Mm -hmm. So if I know that their upper back slightly underdeveloped, and even that's even with crossfitters, when I've worked one-on-one -on -one with some pretty high-level athletes, what we do is hips and upper back. I know their glutes are probably underdeveloped. I know they don't sprint a lot, right? Yeah. They don't have capacity to do it. And for the most part, for a lot of people, their VO2 isn't in the 70th percentile. Yeah. Right? So what do we do to improve that? I don't throw random 24-minute workouts at them. That's yeah. what I don't do. What I do is ask questions about how I can move the needle for that specific athlete. So that's why 
We also don't have the whiteboard here. People goo and gaw and you know obsess over the whiteboard. Yeah. And in my opinion, that is a poor carrot to dangle and incentivize. Because what are you incentivizing? Yeah. What I mean, what do you if if you prescribe an athlete to do 24 reps on crossover symmetry or 24 clamshells as fast as they can, what's yeah. gonna happen? What are right. you incentivize? Yeah, exactly. Right. So then how does this play into strength and conditioning? How does this play into intensity? How does this play into complexity? That we need to take a better approach with strength and conditioning principles that we've known about for 50 years. Reversibility, adaptation, how to make progress, over progressive overload. How do we package these and blend that with the black box effect that CrossFit is famous for and is it works. It works. Is it a dose response issue? Why a lot of people are broken and people don't catch their power cleans the best and they starfish way out here? That's probably a they've at some point back to the handwriting. Their handwriting got good enough that they stopped deciding to get better and they yeah. decided that just doing the thing was good enough. Mm-hmm. At V23, doing the thing isn't really good enough. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like we're constantly learn, evolve, how do we improve? Hey guys, Dr. Andrew Fix from Physio Room here. Thanks again for tuning in to listen to us on the code. Really appreciate your time. And for that, I want to share a special offer from Physio Room extended to you guys. So if you want to have an opportunity to work with us at Physio Room for any fitness, performance rehab, pain relief, whatever that might be, when you reach out to us to schedule your appointment in person or virtual, we're going to offer you 20% off for being a code listener. So just be sure to mention that you heard about it on the podcast, and we will make sure to extend that offer to you. We look forward to working with you. Thank you so much, guys. You know, I think there's um, a fine line to that, like idea of being good enough. And I, I had a couple comments in over the course of my life, come my way. One happened yesterday, right? And without getting too deep into the story, you know, I was wearing a relatively fitted shirt, um, playing softball. And someone says, Andrew, it looks like you need to lift a little bit more weights, right? And they're being sarcastic, right? They're saying like, well, is all that you do lifting weights? I'm like, well, that's, you know, that's not the point, right? It's not about how I look. It's like, this is part of my lifestyle, right? This is something that I'm, I want to do. I'm going to do. And I've had other people make similar comments over my life of, you know, why do you need to go to the gym today? Aren't you already in good enough shape? I'm like, that's not the point, right? I'm not doing it to be in better shape than you or anyone else, right? Like it's part of my life. It's part of my lifestyle, part of my habits, all this stuff. But um, but I think there is a, a point if we got into this conversation of the term good enough, like a different way where you don't need to be perfect in order to step into the arena type of thing, right? Like there is a point where something is good enough to start applying it, but that doesn't mean you don't continue to refine, to tailor it, to train and whatever. Um, Because one thing that I also, and I'm sure you're the same way, is I don't like to listen to people who aren't doing the thing, right? Who aren't in the arena. Like you can be the greatest person at like analyzing something, but unless you're doing it and you can speak from experience or you can say, hey, this is what I have learned. What do you think type of thing? I don't, I don't want to hear it. Right. Yeah. I, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about what ifs I'm like, well, let's do it. And let's, but I like what you said about, you know, it's, we're being curious. We're asking questions to figure out how can we do things for this particular athlete? What are we going to do for you? Um, because the, the prescription, if you will, 
I like to talk about what, what I give people to do. I'm not giving people some stretches to do or not giving someone some exercises to do. It's a prescription for that person. What you would give one CrossFit athlete is different than you would give someone else because it's a different, it's a different situation. They have a different life outside the gym. Even if the, the training uh, session that they're doing is the same and they have the same issues, the prescription to address their issues might be different mm-hmm. from person to person. And that's, there's a lot to unpack there. Totally. You said, like, so the first thing is like, it's a practice. Yeah. Training is a practice. And what is practice? There's the term that comes to my mind when I think practice, like the term that's tethered to that is repetition. Mm-hmm. Another term could be improvement. Yeah. But when it comes to feedback loops, well, when it comes to actually improving a practice, you have to have a feedback loop. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I would use, I might tell two different stories here. If, if I'm throwing a baseball, right? I, I, was, I was a baseball player. Yep. If I'm throwing a if I'm pitching, and I did pitch for a little bit, and I throw a fastball, it's either a strike or a ball, right? That's a feedback loop. So I can get pretty good just by continuing to throw baseballs and refine that, right? You could have a pitching coach. You could have a number of different things that will give you feedback. I'm going yep. to speed this up. So let's take that to fitness. Right. I'm as we sit in this room, there's a garbage can about six feet from me. Right. So we start with the garbage can three feet away, crumble up paper balls, and I'm nailing. Boom. Yeah. Boom. I get to where I can get, I'm shooting 99% at three feet. Then we move it back. Yeah. Five feet. Now I'm about, I start off like 60%, and then I refine it. And then next thing you know, I'm 90% better. Yeah. We move it back. We move it back. What tend that becomes a practice. What tends to happen is, Athletes stay six feet away from the basket and they're just, they feel like Kobe, right? Yeah. They're like, they got the 23 jersey on, they're taking it to the hole. Um, they're bragging to everybody about how they're killing it. They're only six feet away. Yeah. You're only six feet away. So the moment you get to that where you think you're killing it, yeah. something needs to change. You need to move the target. You need to move the goal. Yeah. How we move the goal could be, could be load. Could be uh, could be load, could be range of motion, could be complexity, yeah. could be any number of these things. But what's also tends to be very common is people only go faster and they only go heavier. That's two of about ten variables I can use to move the needle for an app. Yeah, right. Because sometimes going slower is more difficult than going faster. Ask any gymnast, right? So sometimes you slow things down. Sometimes sometimes you do speed it up. Sometimes you do increase the weight on the bar. But those shouldn't be the only two tools that a coach has, Yeah. right? So it's the same thing as a practitioner. And you can, maybe you see it differently. You rehab an athlete's knee and the knee's now better. Maybe it's a triage effect where you only fixed the most, you, you fixed the gunshot wound before the stab wound, right? But perhaps once that knee's better, right, then you, okay, then there's something else because you know as well as I do, there's something wrong with the knee, there's something upstream, sure. downstream. Yeah. So you fix that, but then you tend to the next more important item. And then that process continues for the evolution of the athlete. Yep. And the smarter they are and the better they know how to manage it, 
they're coming to see you for a different problem in a year. Instead of three years later, it's the same, yeah, it's the same elbow, it's the same shoulder. Whereas like that's not some if the, if the student's not learning, the teacher didn't teach. Then when you talk when it comes to a practice, like when you guys is your room is a practice. Yeah. Um, you're teaching athletes how to not only manage their pain, but also to train through pain to keep them moving. Right. You know, the last thing you want to do is sit well, down and oh man. I, I had that conversation with a young high school athlete and, and her mother yesterday. Um, you know, prototypical high school girl, soccer player, cross country athlete, squat looks like a baby deer, you know, all, all the stuff you probably can picture, picture that. But you know, the conversation we had was about at what point do I need to tell you, you need to be out of out of your practice, out of soccer practice, out of running uh, cross country practice. I don't want to do that, right? I don't want to tell you no, you can't practice. But you know, there's a there's a fine line there between training through pain and making things worse, or making other things worse because of significant compensations and whatnot. And the conversation we ended up having was about the importance of, and I never use like fear as the motivator necessarily, but this is a real scenario where this young lady plays. Um, soccer. Well, what we know ACL injuries are significant in soccer, especially female soccer. And, you know, based on her movement assessment, she's like just waiting for an ACL injury to happen. If I see things in this like double leg environment, I know what's happening when she's on one leg, right? Because her hip stability is not appropriate to support her on one leg. She's running, twisting, pivoting, cutting around. She's recently grown, gone through a significant growth spurt. So she's uncomfortable with her new size and height of her body. Um, and so I was just trying to stress the importance to both of them of, I know you're 15. I know little aches and pains as you have tend to improve by you not doing anything. This is something that we need to get a handle on and help you take care of. One, because I want you to be able to play right now. But two, I want you to be able to play four, five, 10 years from now because you're 15 years old. Um but I like what you were saying about how in, in the way you didn't say this as a definition, but in the way you're describing practice, you're describing it as an intentional thing, not a going through the motions type of a thing. And that's, I had to look something up on my phone there because there's an awesome book um, that kind of through science validates a lot of exactly what you're saying. Right. And the book is called peak. One of the authors is Anders Erickson, but that's what it talks about. Like you could sit there and shoot free throws all day long and not be intentional and not be curious about any feedback or not want any feedback. You're just shooting free throws and not paying attention to things. You're not really going to get that much better at it. But if you're intentional and you listen to the feedback, you internalize and feel for certain feedback, you can improve these things. And then I looked up the definition of practice. And when it's used as a verb, that's exactly what the definition says. To perform an activity or an exercise or a skill repeatedly or regularly in order to improve or maintain proficiency. It doesn't say do things over and over just just because, right? And a lot of times that's what happens is people just go through the motions and they say, well, I'm practicing. No, if you're practicing, you are doing things with intention. You are mentally tuned in to what's going on. You're not thinking about all the other stuff. You're very intentional about what's going on. And then you'll see things improve. Yeah, you brought up um, one of... I think the most fascinating, I don't even know if you call it an argument, but for deliberate practice and, and a quality specifically that is taste. And I'm this 
when I heard that, I don't know if it was from Pete. I'm, I can't remember where I heard where I was reading about Anders Ericsson. Yeah, but he talks about taste is is closely tethered to our mental representation of something. So the better mental model we have of something, the closer we can operate to it. And we yeah. give you some examples. Sean White's taste in the backside 720 is far superior to mine. So what does that mean? It means he can operate much more closely through his practice, right? Because he's repetition, repetition, repetition. He has very, very fine taste in the backside 720. Therefore, he can operate very close to it. Louis Simmons, whether you love him or hate him, his taste in the box squat, or Lauren Landau, strength and conditioning coach of the Denver Broncos, phenomenal speed coach. His taste in cutting, pivot, going around axes is superior to most people. Mm -hmm. So how does this relate to what we're talking about? If you're, if you have poor taste, you know, I think, you know, I think there's poor results. Mm -hmm. So let's take Olympic lifting, for example. If you have poor taste in Olympic lifting, you are satisfied with your starfish power clean that you caught out here and your knees are all gross and caved, baby deer, right? If you're if you have poor taste in squatting, you're okay with just totally collapsing. You know, you have the the whole costume on with the lifters and the tape everywhere and three sets of these sleeves on. Like you're you're satisfied with that poor performance. Yeah. So if we know that having poor taste in something equals poor performance is close and tethered, then how do we get an individual's taste in a quality up? Yeah. And that habit, we have to improve. We have to have a better definition of what quality movement means. And then, yes, that can be deviated from time to time. But for the most part, we need to have a better understanding and this is what we talk about with coaches is don't let the athlete's poor movement dull your eye. Mm -hmm. Right? Think about that. So yeah. it's like we get coaches do this for so long and then they're on autopilot. Yeah. Like they've gotten so accustomed to watching poor movement. They're not going to take responsibility somewhere along the line, right? Yeah. The elevator of, let's just say you win strength and conditioning, your best coach ever at the 100th floor, and people start off down here on the first floor, right? Yeah. Where it's like, I'm doing bodybuilding, right? Which I, I won't get into that. I'm doing bodybuilding. And then second floor, they're getting some endurance stuff. Third floor, they fly and cross it. Like, whoa, I'm getting off of this floor. Actually, let me read. I don't want to. I, I'm a big fan. I'm an advocate of crossfit. I don't want to. So let's say then they get up here where it's some fitness popularized franchise fitness method. That only gets to say a Homo sapien, right? What Homo sapien is capable of is right here. Yeah, and it gets them just below that. That that is the definition of good enough. And they get off the elevator there. Like, it's awesome. It's like, well, they're going to continue to be satisfied with only this level. Like, how do we move that up, right? How do we progress in complexity? Well, maybe then we do introduce someone to lift. But Another thing, and I don't know if I'm famous for saying this or not, some people have heard it, it's like, we know when we've had a bad burrito, right? You've had a bad burrito. You know the difference, you know, the quality. That's a good one. That's the best bad one. Now, what you find, I, yeah. I, I prefer hex as a quality in my burrito. But <laughs> I think we know when we're, people's taste in the burrito is probably superior to their taste in 
programming for their gym or sure. their coaching yeah. or even coaches. They all love their own scent, right? So how can I now as a coach going in my next evolution refine coaches' tastes and refine coaches' lenses, right? So that they can better interact with the information and then potentially create, you know, break the dogma and then create their own brand, their own lens, something that's uniquely theirs and their expression of their practice. Yeah. Right? You go learn about Edo Portal and the crawling and the crazy one-arm gymnastics. You go do that, you know, explore that for a little bit, refine your taste in that. Yeah. Then go, you know, I've thrown gymnastic seminars with division one champions, right? And I, I learned from them. I did strength, I've worked with strength and conditioning coaches and I've learned from them. So it's like a constantly refined. And I'm finding the longer I do this, the more that that isn't common. Right. And to me, that doesn't seem special by any stretch of the imagination. I, I consider if you can't be a student, you are obviously not a teacher in my eyes. Yeah. You're not also a student. And I'm finding it's much more uncommon. So how can we bring in coaches from almost nobody goes to strongman school. I didn't go to strongman school to have two national champions. It was something that was thrown in my lap. I didn't go to NFL quarterback school to learn how to coach NFL quarterbacks. I didn't go to powerlifting school. Nobody gets a degree in this stuff. Yeah. Right. We're another common thread. Every human being is playing by the same rules. And what are those rules? Those are the principles of strength and conditioning and physiology. Those are the rules we're playing. Yeah. Adaptation, reversibility, which I talked about earlier. So if we un the better we understand the rules of the game, the better we can play the games sure. with any athlete population. Now, obviously, I know my boundaries. There are certain things that I'm like, whoa, that's not something I'm willing to explore. That is way outside my pay grade. That's outside my experience. Let me help you yeah. find because i speak the language let me help you find a coach with that yeah. there, there are athletes that i've been like i can't help with that my yeah. hands off but then i have other athletes thrown in my hands that scare the bejesus out of me that i'm like i can do that yeah. i can do at least improve this one aspect because you'd say the better you want to be the more coaches you need right sure. there's not yeah. a single you know i've worked with a handful of professional athletes again and all of those guys have their guys. Yeah. And multiple. by guys, I mean yeah. plural. They have one to two PTs, one to two Kairos. You look at Russell Wilson, he walks around with an entourage, mental skills coach, this guy, this guy, this guy. So he has a team of individuals who all know their lanes. So I think, you know, knowing your lane and knowing what you don't know. Yeah. Right. Knowing when to, you know, when something's beyond my control, like, dude, I have no idea what's wrong with the shoulder. Go see Dr. Fix over at Physio. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, yeah, I don't again, I don't want to get too off track, sure. No, but I, I think, think there's something about continuing to learn and you know the lens in which different people, different practitioners interact with the information, yeah, to break your own framework, right? Break the framework down, and worst case scenario is you build it back up and it looks identical. Yeah. Sometimes you break your framework down, you rebuilding, like, whoa, I've been doing it way long, yeah, and then you pivot, and there's nothing wrong with admitting that because if you haven't. If you can't look back, I'd say, I don't know how honest this is with you as a practitioner, but if you can't look back at what you were doing three or four years ago and kind of cringe a little bit, right? You, you, you're probably still doing some cringeworthy stuff. Sure, yeah. You should be able to look back and be like, man, like I, I was dead set 
that this was the way and it's not. Yeah. And I run into that all the time with movements, with language, with communication, with how I reach athletes, with business. Business is running a business is way harder than coaching. I don't yeah. coach all day. Running a business, keeping a culture and a team together is is asked more of me than anything else I've done in my life. Maybe in just a minute, let's let's sort of get into that just a touch. But um, but yeah, I, I think you're totally right. I can look back three, four years ago and cringe at some of the stuff that I was doing in the clinic as a as a provider. Um, now, to some extent, some of that is the environment that I was in did not allow me to work the way that I do now. Right. Okay. You can't work with somebody in the way that I do now when you're treating four people at the same time. That's a whole not that, possible. Right. That's a big conversation. And we can. You know, now, but that doesn't mean I would have either. Like, I didn't know the stuff, some of the stuff that I know now four years ago. So I have totally changed the way that I look at people, the way that I address certain things um, that then I did then. But, um, and, you know, you guys have heard us on this show go down that rabbit hole a little bit, talking about the way the system is and why why we do what we do at Physio Room. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's very obvious to me and probably to the people listening to this show that as a coach, like you said, I can coach all day, that you are very intentional about what you have people do and why you have people do those things and about like the language that's used, the way that you communicate with people. That is, you know, that's obvious. But like you just started to talk about, we, you know, when you are an expert in one domain, you know, there's... How, what was I going with this? I was sort of going down the down the path of like, know your lane, right? And if you try to be an expert at everything, you usually like, I don't know many people that can do that, right? There's maybe there's somebody out there, some man or woman that can do that. But when you try to be the expert at everything, you usually end up just being pretty average at most things and pretty good at a few. So, you know, like it's really important to know the limits of, your expertise, your knowledge, or your whatever, your capacity to do things. Because we were just talking about this before we started recording. I don't want to be the expert in editing podcast audio files mm -hmm. because that's not what I know how to do. It will take me so long to learn how to do that. Is that a skill that I need? Not necessarily. There's many other experts that can do that. And we would love to implore their, like, hire them to use their expertise to do that so that I can continue to get better at other things, yeah. right? That are more in my lane. You don't need to be the expert at everything. You need to be able to be curious and ask questions and have other people that you can lean on, rely on. And one thing that I like about when we come in here and have conversations is it's apparent to me that you are very open to other people's input and other people's opinions and thoughts as long as they can explain it, right? As long as there's some some thoughts and some justification in a way behind it, right? Like as long as you can say, this is why I believe the thing that I do or why I do things the way that I do without just making a blanket statement like, well, this is the way to do it. Well, it's funny. You probably just saw my ears perk up <laughs> um, because it's like, I, I'm, I'm a skeptic. Mm -hmm. I'm a show me guy. Yeah, It's not pessimistic, but I'm a show me guy. So I've been doing this for a long time. I've seen things come and go. Yeah. That and you know the flash of the pan, the the six weeks to this, ten weeks to this, twenty. You know, with seventy five hard. Which if that's if that's what gets you in the door, I'm all about what gets people moving. 
but I can't unknow how sustainable that is yeah. for the majority of the population. So here's my thing. I'm not critical of the idea. I'm never critical of the idea. I'm critical of the thinking behind the idea. Mm -hmm. yep. And if we can, as an industry, and in your industry, if we can all come together and stop you know, slinging doo-doo at each other like a bunch of monkeys and sit down and have a conversation, like, explain this to me. Yep. Because I have to admit that I don't understand something. Yeah. But what can I do as a coach to better my arguments is learn everything about what you do. Mm -hmm. You are against something, go learn everything about it if you're going to make statements, right? For then sure. now your argument's inevitable. Um, there's something else you mentioned that I want to circle back to is I'm always skeptical. Expert is a word for other people to describe you. Sure. Expert's not a word for you to describe yourself. Yeah, I like that. Meanwhile, I also observe that being an expert is the opposite of being curious. And there are a lot of individuals that I look at, and I'm like, don't know so much, bro. Yeah. I just don't know so much because it's not, I wrote about this the other day. It's not what you don't know that's holding you back in your practice or your life or whatever business. It's what you know. And by that, I put in quotations, like what you think you know, what you think is ineffable, that's what's holding you back. Yeah. In your training, in your life, in your relationship. And we can delve way into that, which we don't, I'm sure we don't have time for. But if, pe like, if people can let that sink in for a minute, yeah. it's like, just don't know so much. Yeah. Because if you don't know so much, now you're open to opportunity, you're open to change. Why do we cling so tightly to these, to these, this dogmatic approach to fitness or that this is the way you do something. It's like, there's more than one way to do anything. And so people have these arguments, you know, people go on Instagram and they see LeBron doing half squats at 500 pounds. That's not a squat. It's so he, funny that you he brought can't that up. hear you over this, the, the last five zeros in his, in his salary. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, what are you talking about? Yep. So it's, do you know why LeBron squats like that? Because if you walk into, if you walk into the Broncos, um, strength and conditioning facility. If you're a, a general fitness coach, yep. and you walk into the Bronco strength and conditioning facility watching squatting, like, bro, you need your feet underneath your hips, you need your toes out, and you need to squat ass to grass, you're getting kicked out. Mm -hmm. You're getting kicked out. If you walk into West Side Barbells, it's the same thing, you're going to get kicked out. If you walk into, uh, but then if a strength and conditioning coach, right, let's say NCAA or NFL or MLB, Coach walked into Moss Strength, right, which is one of the most successful Chinese weightlifting programs there is. It was like, no, you guys need to be squatting wide base, toes forward, just to parallel. Mm -hmm. You're going to get booted out. Sure. So it's not like we talked about earlier. It's not the squat. It is a squat. Yeah. So how many types of squats do you know? Do you know how to apply them? I'm not sure how far we're going off track here, but too many people get lost in that expertness. Yep. And it's like. That's for other people to call you, bro. Like I'm just, I'm just a curious dude. Like I'm, I'm barely, I, I'm, I'm a coach by what other people call me. I'm not like a self-titled guru. I, guru is another word that, yeah, for sure. Know, like no one calls you that, dude. You can't just make up your own name. <laughs> like no one's gonna call you Black Hawk or Night Hawk or something. No one's yeah. calling you expert. You're calling yourself expert. Yeah, for sure. And that's blinding you. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree because like we were talking a lot before the show, on the show, about that word being curious. And if you are if you are too proud to be able to ask questions, you're missing the boat, right? Like you've you've reached your ceiling pretty much until you 
take a step back, reflect, and then start to ask more questions and be a learner. And that's one of the things that uh, at Physio Room, you know, if we're considering bringing somebody onto the team, right, bringing them into the practice, no matter what their role is, they could be someone that uh, we call an office manager. They're sitting at the front desk, answering phones, building relationships with clients. You know, you understand that role. They could be a provider. They could be a marketing person. If you're not a voracious learner, you can't be on the team, right? There's not a seat for you on the bus. Yep. If you already are as good as you can get at something, you have to be willing and interested in learning and continuing to learn and not being too proud to keep learning. Um, and that's, you know, that's one of the requirements to, to be on the team. And like what we know, right, is the answer is usually somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. Like this is not the only way to squat. This is not the only way to squat. You know, there's people in way on this side and politics and other beliefs. And there's way on this side. Usually the answer is somewhere in the middle. And those people are not always right. And these people are not always right. It's context and tasks. Specific, For sure. Yeah. Right? It's context. And now, is there, a, is there a certain framework that you should be able to get an individual into unloaded? Absolutely. Yeah. But that individual is not going to find himself in that position on the football field or on a basketball right. court. So yeah. what do you want to reinforce? The posture and position necessary in a sport-specific for, for specificity to a, to a sport. But for the general population, yeah, it's like what's going to work best for the athlete. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of different ways to approach it. For sure. Well, let's do this. Let's um, revert back to something that you said before. Um, and like you said, maybe we're getting too much off track. There's not necessarily a track here, so, right? We can talk about whatever we want. And, um, you know, based on feedback that we get from the show and whatnot, that's how we try to tailor some of these conversations. But taking coaching aside for a second, you know, you had said that being a business owner, running a business for you is, is a way different challenge than coaching, right? Coaching is something that you've had hours and hours and hours of intentional practice, reps, subduing, and, um, you know, you probably feel more comfortable doing that at an extremely high level compared to being a business owner, right? So go down that rabbit hole for just a second. What are some of the challenges that you've seen and how have you overcome or tried to improve at some of those from a business leadership, running a facility, trying to establish and foster a culture type of a Type of a discussion. That's a that's a great question, and I attribute the only reason we're here right now that I have. Well, not the only reason. There's a number of reasons, but I my I grew up with my father in the restaurant business, and that time that we resort back when I moved from Las Vegas to Colorado, I was out there for about two years, and I watched my dad. My dad's in the restaurant business forever, and I actually find a lot of analogs between the restaurant industry and the fitness industry. Sure. And you know, there's a formula to both where everybody, you know, let's talk about another analog. Everybody, so many people are born with like the restaurant gene where they want to own a restaurant. And it's like that's one, one of the least successful endeavors you could ever get into is, is being a difficult. Very, it's very difficult. difficult. Mm -hmm. And people get into it because they're passionate. They like food. That's great. Yeah. Food has very little to do with a restaurant, believe it or not. Yes. Right? It's experience. It's culture, it's consistency. Yep. Consistency. Do you know where you're going to get every single time? Yep. Now say that's fitness side. Everyone loves to work in home. Everybody loves telling other adults what to do. 
I, I believe it's a very unpopular opinion. I think the fitness industry is one of the, a, you know, it's a career for me. I wish others were treated as a career. Yeah. But it has the lowest barrier of entry to tell other adults what to do. And who doesn't love that? Because people, that's a horrible reason to be a coach, right? But people have to be upfront with that notion and acknowledge it first. And it's like, in six weeks, you can tell 20 other adults or 180 other adults what to do and how to eat. Like, yeah. that, it's a little scary, right? A, li a little scary. Yeah. It's been great for me, but a little scary. Yeah. Um, but it was understanding the formula, hospitality, how to treat people. That stuff has always kind of also come naturally. I mean, what was, what's probably been the most challenging, and, you know, I've been obsessed with, with leadership, at least to some degree, in the last probably six to eight years. And it's holding standards is the most insane no to people's money has been incredibly challenging. And it was, you know, when you first start off, you know, you have your grinding and your hustling phase where you'll do anything. You know what I mean? Like I live below poverty. Like I made more, I made more money from 2006 to 2009 as a contracted engineer for the military. Then I made from 2012 to 2007. I made more in one of those years than I made in the five collected years from 2012 to 2016. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I'm living like way down here. And when people, you know, it's, you'll end up, you'll, you'll do anything to yeah. get you know, cash or get somebody in your gym. This yeah. is before I opened my business, right? This is before we opened our business. But once the culture is yours and you're responsible for it, it it's, a, it's a different game to where everybody loves principles until it applies to them. So you would see the same culture that, you know, you, you develop relationships with people. And um, I'm also, you know, a believer that the coach you have now might not be the coach you need for five years. Yeah. Right. You need, you need to, things have to change. It's like evolution, like dating or whatever the thing I is. Had right? that, so, I had that discussion with a client yesterday. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, so sometimes those things fall apart and it's, and it sucks and it's unfortunate. Um, but, you know, managing the culture and trying, you know, our coaching staff here, we've had a lot of people who were far more educated than me. They couldn't last in this gym. They couldn't last coaching. They, it was all X's and O's. They knew the CSCS book inside now. They had master's degrees and they had the personality and soft skills of the chopping block, right? And every, again, coming back to the, you have to blend the science with the religion. You're still interacting with humans. Yeah. So, you know, V23 is obviously when it started, it's a, it's a manifestation of myself and Ruthie and even Keegan and our coaches, right? Like this is mostly of myself and Ruth, most likely. Yeah. But it's a manifestation of us. So it's like when you talk about the energy and the vibe, like when you walk into our gym, like people here work hard. I'm not saying yeah. a lot of people don't work. A lot of people work hard. But there's something about a group and a community of people who are, we don't have the whiteboard. We're not in this pissing contest with one another. Yeah. You look around the room and you're like, Andrew's over there doing his absolute best for what he needs to do. Yeah. Keegan's over there doing his absolute best for what he, when you're surrounded by people like this yeah. all the time, don't ask me what's normal because I go, I leave this gym and I'm like, well, hold on. I have to like 
control the lead. This is the real world because what yeah. happens in here is totally different. It's a different reality. And if people aren't online with that, if they just want to come in and, and do the thing and they're like, hey dude, like uh uh I'm gonna I'm gonna pay you some money and you're not gonna, you know, this is we're gonna have this premeditated mediocrity is what I call it in a lot of places for coaches who have refused to accept responsibility for them being in a leadership position. It's like homeboy comes in and you're the coach. I need to lose 60 pounds. So I'm like, Hey dude, like, like this is what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to pay you and you're not going to give me flack or really push me. Right. You're going to train me, but not really train me. And then we're just going to do this a whole bunch. And we're going to do it for a long time because I haven't accept responsibility for my own improvement. Yeah. I'm just like, no, it's his fault. Like, tell me what to do. Yeah. Because people, people expect to be taught and they forgot how to learn. Yep. You on your hand, you, the other hand, you don't have to do your job. You just start the clock, check my, sit around on your phone, but woo, you clap a whole bunch. You're the best high five yeah, in sure. the room. <laughs> and it's like that, yet we're spending millions of, every year we're spending an extra 10 to 15% in Seven, I can't remember how the fitness industry is now, but it's increasing every year with supplementation, with coaching, with education. Go look around. I don't see the results in the general population. And V23 to me is the antithesis of that, to where it's like everybody here shows up, works hard, eyes on their own paper, and they support one another. That's why we can have athletes from a, a dozen different populations. Yeah. There's no hate here. You don't have the strong man people making fun of the CrossFitters and giving them shit for kipping and the power lifter. You know, we laugh about the Oli Bro chair for our Olympic lifters. It's like everybody has their eyes on their own paper. Yeah. And I do have to pat myself, Ruthie, and our coaching staff on the back for creating that environment to where it's not this toxic. And I've had, you know, I get, we, we run coaching seminars and one of the questions I get asked a lot is like, have you kicked people out of your gym? And I'm like, have you not? Yes. Yeah, have you not? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's not something you feel good doing and you don't have to be, um, that you don't have to be a butthole about it. Yeah. But, you know, I've had at least 10 athletes that I'm like, let me find a different gym for you. Yeah. Because it's not working because you don't talk back to my coaching staff. Right, you don't just get to do whatever you want to do. No, you don't get to warm yourself up. If you know, if you can warm yourself, because all of our yeah, we're coach start to finish. Yeah, if right. You think you can warm yourself up better than I can? Then you train me because yeah. I want to get fit too. So if you can do this better than I can, oh, uh, let's send me your resume, dude. Yeah, you know, what I mean? instead coach, of just yeah. going in the corner doing God knows what. And that's the other thing is we've had to say no to a lot of money. Because every athlete under the V23 umbrella is trained by a V23 coach under a V23 program. And we program for athletes from tactical games to CrossFit to strongman to powerlifting to Highlands games, uh, rugby, soccer, NFL, like the whole gamut, right? We don't have that one weirdo that comes in the corner doing God knows what, right? That's followed this program jumping every six weeks. First, they're doing mayhem then they're doing brute then they're doing this and we don't have that weirdo corner. now we do have maybe one athlete in the whole gym that's a good friend of ours that has a another coach 
that his brother's a phenomenal powerlifting coach, and I could not coach powerlifting better than he can. Yeah, and he's a great guy, and he stays out of the way. He does his thing. He's quiet. He's respectable. He's a phenomenal guy. A PhD in polymers, like super fascinating dude. Yeah, if he wants space in the gym, he gets it. But everybody else here is one unified team, one unified culture. Yeah. Right. So we don't have. We had to say when people are, hey, dude, like, I just want to open gym. I want this. I want this. Like, it's hard saying the first few years is very hard saying no to money. Yeah. But because we said no so often and stuck to our guns yep. and taught our athletes how to put the rowers away properly. And, um, you know, we've had athletes that we've, I, you know, we set boundaries and we set limitations. So We've had a number of athletes come over who were not well recommended because they, maybe they were toxic at another gym. But through what I learned through working with my father is that people respond to boundaries. And I think gym owners could learn something about setting more boundaries in their gym and not blaming stuff on the athlete. What happens when you blame it on the athlete? You are not accepting responsibility for that individual. And everybody underneath your roof, you need to accept responsibility for, which comes down to leadership. What is leadership? Accepting responsibility for the things that nobody else wants to, right? That's what leadership is. So if you, so now we're to the point, you know, we've been at this, we've been in this facility three and a half years. B23 as it is now has been since 2017. Like, guess what? We don't have to worry about it. Toxic people. Yeah. I mean, we have people that, oh, going back to the boundaries thing, I'm sorry. We've had a couple of these, let's call them bad eggs, yeah. right? That, they come over and right off the bat, like you teach it or you tolerate it. Like those bad eggs, you probably taught them to tolerate it, right? Or that you tolerated them. They come over here, and as soon as you set up the boundaries, you're like, no, this is how we do it. Like, not don't ask, tell. Yeah. No, nope. barbell down, three lines. We're gonna set this up, right, for a warm up or something. They respond to it. Yeah. What do you know? Five months later, they're thriving. Yeah. They're making progress. They're happy. And but also, I don't want you to come tell me about how bad it was at the other. Like, I, I don't want to hear it. Business is hard. I'm not saying like a year from now, I'm going to be cringing at the things that I did this year in the business, right? So I understand it's hard, but we need there has to, to me, there's not yet a framework in place to teach coaches this. And this is what I am going to begin accepting responsibility for. As a leader, right? Or a, if, if I am a leader, but if I'm who I say I am, then I, if this is a part of my best effort and my map, my max expression, right, as a coach, then that's the next logical step. Yeah. So I want to be able to empower coaches and business owners to do that, build their own brand, right? And then set the boundaries for however they want to play the game. Yeah. These are the rules. And then once you have that, go on the field and play however you want to. Well, you just said the word brand, like building a brand is exactly what you said. You have to say no to things. Otherwise, there is no brand, right? If you're just like, oh, we do everything, that, that's not a brand. A brand is specific. And if you don't have those standards that you try to hold, then, then the brand gets that right? And I'm a big believer in culture is not what you say. And culture is not what you do. Culture is what you allow to happen, right? If you're the leader of the space yeah. and you say, oh, these are the rules, but then what you actually allow to happen either by someone else or by yourself. Yeah. And right? that sets the precedence. That's what the culture is. That's what people see. And that's then what people assume 
is the way to do things. I gave, I I gave a speech and I nailed it, dude. I was so <laughs> stoked. I was so stoked because I had a couple whiskeys. Um, at our Christmas party, we have a huge Christmas party every year. It's like over the top. Like mm-hmm. everybody dresses up, dressed up. Yeah. But, you know, we, we call ourselves a tribe here. And I think tribes closely, you know, tribes are the disparity between tribes and their individual culture, right? You can have people that look the same, they dress the same, that live 50 miles apart, but their cultures are vastly different. So what do we talk about in the culture? We talk about the things they celebrate, what they have in common, their principles, their morals, their ethics, their how they operate. Yeah. So when you look at cultures, like I go into gin, who's responsible for culture? The tribal elders. They're the ones who dictate what is acceptable and what's not. They don't just complain that everybody's running around town or around the tribe, like getting into trouble, getting their nose into shit. And just like, you know, so it's like, what do we celebrate here as a culture? We celebrate hard work. We celebrate humility. We celebrate learning. And if if these are the things we celebrate, that's what's going to be cultivated there. If I just celebrate some dude going harder than someone else, and I celebrate the five games athletes or the five, uh, you know, national champions, if I only celebrate them, then let's face it, none of those guys are paying a membership. Let's be honest. I'm not talking about here. I'm talking about gyms around the world. Sure, They're not paying a membership. And you're celebrating these people. Why? They are like, the chances are you didn't even get them to that point. Right. They're just using your gym and you're taking advantage of that for social media. You're not even coaching them. They're just the weirdos in the corner doing their own workout. So what are you celebrating in your business? Are you, is that what you're incentivizing? Because the new people who come in, they're looking at the person that looks like Reebok threw up all over them, that moves like shit, that has a bad attitude, that's super toxic, but wins all the workouts and then makes excuses when they don't. Is that who you're celebrating? Because your new people see that. Yep. And if they see that, guess what you're grooming? You're grooming that toxic BS that is the reason that I had to open my own gym is because I couldn't find another place to work out. Yeah. Because I've been to good gyms that had culture. Even if they didn't necessarily, even if their practice didn't align with mine, right? I've been to movement gyms and uh, gymnastics gyms and, you know, classic strength and conditioning gyms. And I'm like, you walk in there like, whoa, something's different. Like something is different. Yep. And it's not by what they're doing. It's the energy, it's the vibe. It's yep. the only the new people stand out, right? Because right. like everybody's moving well, like everybody's flowing together. And a lot of gyms, it's just a, a cluster. Yeah. It's like everybody, you have a bunch of me's running around. So when we talk about culture is like, you need guidelines and you need to set boundaries on what your culture represents and what that means to people because people, this is business 101, people care more about why they're doing something and the belief behind it than they are about what the product necessarily is. I'm going to give you an example. I'm not throwing anybody under the bus. Big companies. Rogue things. What does Rogue show? Rogue shows an American blue-collared welder Welding up equipment, yep. right? Emotional drive. Guys, I don't know who these know this, folks, not made in America. But I didn't say that. You have another company that was local here. All they did was show videos of equipment and like emotionless equipment. Like there's a kettlebell, there's a rack. There's no story behind. 
There's no culture behind that. It doesn't stand for anything. It's just workout equipment. Why is one far more successful than the other? It's because it's something people believe in. Yeah. Right? It's creating emotional attachment. Someone who's culture and things like that. If you celebrate humility and hard work, uh, camaraderie, like supporting one another, learning. Like people get into that. Maybe that's not why they came here. Maybe they came here because we have a, a doo-doo deadlift 700 pounds. I don't care why they came here. Yep. But once they're under our umbrella, this is how we operate. Yeah. And I'm going to give you plenty of time to get a running start into it. I'm going to be right there beside you to guide you. Because there's nothing scary about what we do here. There's this, if you go on our social media, and remember, I'll never know what it's like to walk into B23 for the first time. Right? I will never know. People look at our social media, they look at my, my Instagram page, and they're like, I, I, I am scared to death to walk into this place. A majority of what we do is support one another, work hard, and compliment each other on our glutes. That's like 90% of what we do here. Yeah. And say thank you and tell each other how much we appreciate one another. The working out and the training is automatic. That's just what we do, right? But it's what makes this place special is the support and the leadership, in my opinion, behind it. and what being a B23 athlete stands for, which is more than just being in shape. It's like, if you want to lose 60 pounds or you want to bench 500, we know that we're still playing by the same set of rules whether we want to do either of those. And we'll get you there. So if you come to us with a goal or not, like, even if you just come and you're like, hey, I just want to explore, even better, yeah. even better, right? But we have we have a, a, a culture that it becomes autonomous. It becomes... I don't have to tell athletes how to put the rower away properly, right? We have a very specific way to put over rowers. I know I use that as a very poor example, but it's it's all those small things that add up. Our athletes sure. know class doesn't start at 902. Right. Class starts at nine, right? And whether you're on that ship or not, like it's sailing. Yeah. Mind you, if you're late, that's fine. But people that show up late, they get right in line. Right. And they, and why? Because we have a process. Right, we have when we go through our warm up, everybody. I'm not, I mean, every warm up is individually specific to that workout, but at the same time, there's a process. So, when new people come in and they look around, it, if you were a new individual in the gym, if I were a betting man, you walk in, you look around, and you would start doing what everybody else was doing, right? Because you want to fit in, you don't want to sit right. there with your thumb in your butt looking like new guys. What do you do? You look around, oh, everybody. Everybody's moving towards the whiteboard. Okay, I'm gonna move towards white. Okay, everybody's getting like you're setting up three lines. Okay, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get more of these lines. I'm not yeah. trying to stand by myself. So it becomes self-policing. And that is the beautiful thing about a culture, right? When you have, I hate to even call it operation because it's just subconscious for a majority of our population. Yeah. And when new people come in, I don't have to say anything to them. Because our athletes self-police. Right. And I've seen, like, no, that's not how we do this here. And I just get to sit back and close my thoughts. And my athletes become the thing. The, the community it becomes a self-policing mechanism yeah. to where we just continue to improve. And it run, but what does that say for our coaching staff? Our classes run so much more efficiently. Yeah. It's not this, oh, like, you know, but a box of kittens running around everywhere. Like, so what does that mean? It means we get more done. It means we move through movements more quickly. It's like everything becomes lightier, smoother yep. if everybody knows their place and what they're doing. 
What's going on, Code listeners? Dr. Andrew Fix here. And I want to tell you about our friends at Element. Element makes a tasty electrolyte drink with everything that you need and nothing that you don't. That means the science-backed electrolyte ratio of sodium, potassium, and magnesium, and none of the junk. No sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. And that's why I use it. I've been taking Element for two years now, and I absolutely love the stuff, and I wouldn't want to exercise without it. For all of you code listeners and friends of Physio Room, Element's offered a special to you guys, and I want you to take advantage of it. Go ahead and visit drinkelement.com slash physioroom. That's drinklmnt.com slash physioroom to receive that special offer. You're going to get a free variety pack with any purchase that you place. And uh, I can't wait to hear what you guys think about it. Thanks so much. It's like any any team, any organization, any whatever, right? The ones that have the cultures and standards that are set and maintained tend to run more efficiently. It's a well-oiled machine. And and then when, when you do have, right, if the culture and the environment is self-policing by the other people that, that are on board with that, when you do have a quote-unquote bad egg come in, either one of two things are going to happen. Like you said, three, they're going to fall in line and they're not a bad egg anymore. Or they're going to self-select out. They're going to leave. You nailed it with the self-select. You don't have to send them out. They will decide for themselves, I'm not on board with this culture. I'm going to go somewhere else. And that's great. And that's great for them. And that's great for you, right? Like, that's good for everybody. If if this is not where you want to be, then don't be here. And then, um, yeah, I think think you nailed it with with the self-policing by having a culture of people that like everybody's on board. And that's one thing that I definitely feel here, you know, coming in as someone who regularly speaking doesn't train here. When you do do a training session here, that's what it is. It's a bunch of fist bumps. It's not a bunch of like, Oh, I'm competing to beat you. It's I'm competing with myself. You're competing with yourself. I expect you to push yourself to whatever your limits limits are safely. And I'm going to celebrate you for that, whether you have one plate on the bar or you have 10 plates on the bar, right? Like, great, great job. Give me a fist bump. Let's go do this next step of the, of the training. Or yeah, whatever. but also it's not just, it's, you know, it's the, the, the one of the running jokes, especially with some of my more advanced athletes, you get like your one good job a year. It's like <laughs> your gold star. You yeah. know what I mean? Especially we do so much speed work and I'm never impressed with speed because um, it can always be faster, right? It's a succession over, over certain things when it comes to a certain types of strength training. But it's like, they, when you sandbag a workout, you give other, when I say sandbag, I'm not meaning scale or slow down. That's not what I'm saying. Because if I have 13 athletes in the class, chances are that workout's being chopped up in nine different ways. And I have some people doing it a longer aerobic version, right? I have some people, and then some people, I'm going to say, if Rich Froning came in here right now, I would take our same workout, scale it up, and he would get the same relative intensity that everybody else would, right? Sure. Um, Keep using crossfit that. You said if you sandbag a workout. Yes, yeah, so you give other people permission to do the same. And when you work hard and aren't scared of failing in front of other people, it also gives others permission to do the same. When you say, guess what? Like I I I, I just got back from not me. Athlete comes and says, Hey, I've been gone for a month on travel. If he has permission, like, dude, you're not doing interval weight training. 
Yeah. You're not doing IWTs if you've been on the road for four months, right? Working out business travel. Like you're going to come in. I'm going to have you do a 40 minute workout. You're going to do some carries and like light aerobic work. I don't want your heart rate getting above like 135. I want yeah, you sure. to move and sweat. It gives other per- people permission to do the same where they're like, now we open in conversation to where it's like, hey, like um, last time we did X, Y, Z, like this happens. There's something else I could do differently. So we've created, it's not a problem, but we have the opposite of not approach. And I don't want to use the word problem. What's the term I'm looking for? We have an opposite scenario here where in a lot of box gyms that I've been in, everyone's like, no, I have to do this. Like prescribe. I have to do this. Oh, yeah. I'm just like, dude, bro, when you're about to do 35 reps, like 90% of your max, like knock it off. Dude, right. right. To where everybody's vying to try to, pardon my language, kind of big dick one another by, by showing off, by validating yeah. how good they are at something. Yeah. I don't care how good you are. I care about how good you want to be. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm more concerned with your ceiling than where you're at. Right. Trajectory. So our athletes have gotten to the point where they are not only just comfortable modifying movements, but they're actually requesting. Yeah. Right? We have a tactical, I have a tactical community here that outside of some primary barbell movements, they don't need to do barbell cycling. They need to do sandbag work and rope pulls and sled work and front work and step ups. They don't need, I'm sorry, dude, they don't need to do kidding pull-ups. Yep. They don't need to. If they get to the very top of the pyramid and that's what's holding them back, chances are, if they're at that point, I can teach them a butterfly pull-up or something in 20 seconds because they already have the requisite strength, stability, speed, body awareness, yada, 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 right? To get that. But that's that's not what's lacking in their life, yeah. right? That's not what's lacking in their physical capabilities for the job. So our athletes will come in and actually like, hey, like, this is my train of thought for how I'm feeling today. So this is how, like, what do you think? And now we have a conversation. Okay, well, no, I think that's a great idea. Why don't you, instead of using the barbell, why don't you get an axle? Instead of what, why don't you get a sandbag? Instead of pull-ups, oh, you just had a kid 12 weeks ago? Maybe you shouldn't even be doing strict pull-ups yet because you've got uh, uh, DR. Yeah. Is it DR? Yes, it's right there. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I was about to say Rexus, but I just said <laughs> So maybe you shouldn't even do strict pull-ups. Maybe I have you doing like some bird dog rows or something like that for your back, mixed with your dead bugs or whatever else your professional has you doing. Yes, yeah, sure. So I'm not going to be like, oh, no, like, no, you're doing you're strict pull-ups. No, yeah. no, 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 no. When you get cleared and when I feel comfortable with you doing this, then you'll do it. Even if you want to do strict pull-ups, I'm not going to let you do it yet until you can prove to me that you know Understanding your abdominal pressure, pulling in, transverse, up and in, pelvic floor. So, again, we've created an opposite scenario where people yeah. are more willing and more open to change movements than yeah. they are about obsessing over 135.95, dude. Like, that's there's, that's, that's going to get me where I want to go. And it's like, chances are it's not, dude. People made those numbers up. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a representation of what should be 60% of your max of that movement. That's what that really is. And somebody made that up. And now you live and die by it. Yeah. There's something wrong with that. Yeah, for sure. I think that kind of is like, you know, the, the answer or the way to do things needs to be adaptable adaptable to the scenario that presents itself, right? And I love the, the example that you gave of someone, you know, who was traveling or whatever. Like the same thing happens in, in my training. Maybe I have planned to do heavy deadlifts on this particular day, but maybe the last four nights of sleep that I had were absolute shit. Right. 
it would maybe be appropriate to modify what right. I had planned, right? Like, and you know, maybe one day you do, maybe one day you don't, maybe one day you decide, no, I'm I'm going to do it anyways, and that's okay mm-hmm. for a, a time and a place to do that. But is that always the way to handle things? No, there's never an always, right? And I think I think that's one of the cool things about when you have people, whether it's your profession, my profession, that are willing to have that conversation. We can we can then have it to whatever depth we want to, right? And we can mold things and tailor things based on the scenario and based on how curious we want to be about situations. But um, I think it's go ahead. Oh, I want to unpack something where you just spoke about like mod- modification, and this is where with programming. So to get tech, even though to me programming is the least interesting thing about my job, right? That's one of the easiest, comes most natural to me. It's the least interesting thing. It's the thing everyone else is obsessed with. I'm not that in like if all you want to talk about is programming, like I'm not that interested. Like yeah. I'm, I'm not a YouTube video, I'm not a book, right? I'm a human being. That we tell our coaches when it comes to modifying the only way you can correctly modify a movement in my eyes is if there's an intended stimulus or an intended intention behind the program the athlete's on. It has to be tethered to purpose. And the way I'm training now, I wish I would have started my entire fitness journey on. Yeah. I'm doing a lot of like a lot of endurance aerobic work and a lot of maximal strength work, right? That's what I'm doing right now. So I'm, I'm essentially recreating my base that I lost by specializing in CrossFit, by specializing in powerlifting, by specializing in strongman. So it's all, even though I learned through all of those things, right? And that's, I'm probably a more robust individual than most, but I'm still, I always come back to the basics where I'm doing running, long endurance work and maximum strength barbell work, some gymnastics, pepper in there, some body work stuff. But if there's not intention behind the program, then how do you know what you should be doing that? Yeah, because I know with right now I'm on kind of an off-season power building program. So I know that I'm doing XYZ on you know Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I do the thing, and then I have running intervals on this day, and I'm doing ski intervals. So I have this paddle thing coming up, and I'm cycling a lot more because I'm getting back into that. But there's an approach over 10 to 12 weeks at a time, right? So if I, you know, I flew back from Hawaii Sunday night, got like four hours sleep on Monday. I can modify my movements when I'm fatigued and my CNS is in the trash and just go like, I know how to go light, but still understand how that's going to affect next week or my next pressing day on Thursday. Yeah. But if we just throw random, this unknown, unknowable random stuff to the board, then we can't properly, what's it to negotiate, but we can't properly apply something other than just something totally random. Maybe you just need to go like, get on a bike for 40 minutes, which is totally cool. But we can't properly, it, optimal doesn't exist. It's on a gradient. But if there's not intention, if the program isn't tethered to some form of purpose or intention, then we can't make the necessary adjustment to what the athlete needs to be doing that day. Yeah. Right? If it's, and sometimes it, it looks like what we, we talk about with our athletes, with our newer athletes, like, look, the whiteboard, what's on the whiteboard, that's the soup du jour. But the full kitchen's always open. A full kitchen. We will do whatever's necessary to move the needle. Chances are it has nothing to do with us on that whiteboard that day. Yeah. But if somebody is in the program and they're relatively fit and they're like, hey, you know, I have, I have this, this shoulder thing. Well, if our program is tethered to purpose and I know what they're doing, not only over the next four to five days on the micro level, but on the macro level, like what the 
goal is for 12 weeks, yeah. I can better curtail a movement selection and relative intensity for what they need to do that day. That'll move the needle for them without exacerbating the injury or the tweak or with their nervous system in the trash because they need sleep. Like I still know I can set them up for success tomorrow. And maybe that's going to be, I want you doing, you know, 20 minutes of nasal breathing on the bike and then some some core work, something simple. Maybe I just tell them like, dude, like go home, hydrate, or caught up on sleep. Go for a walk. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because I don't want to trash you today because tomorrow is a super intense workout, right? Yeah. So but it all has to be tethered to purpose. So that's one yeah. thing we tell coaches where it's like, instead of just like, like deck of cards can be fun. Like the deck of cards workout. I don't, I've never done that because I, my, and I coach adults and those adults pay for my services and my yeah. services are not random workouts. If you want random workouts, that's fine. I can tell you 10 other gyms. You can get a golf ball from, from here. It'll take your money. I won't. With, in that approach, like it's, where was I going with that? Sometimes I'll lose track. Well, you were basically talking about, you know, the intention behind when you decide to modify something. Maybe, maybe on this day, you send someone home, go get some sleep, do your walk. Right. Tomorrow you're coming in. It's a it's an intense day. Um, because there's always a purpose behind what what's happening and when it's happening. Yeah, and it does how like the variation of high intensity days to low intensity days, like there's a Olympic level, I think it's Olympic level endurance athletes. I think like the Kenyans, they like, there are some days where they just walk. Yeah. That's all they do. Like the best runners in the world, they just walk. That's the other thing where us talk about bringing it back around to how I'm training now, where it's like, and then what you've been hearing for years that nobody does is just that long steady state, like aerobic work, like what that does for your general health. And do, I'm not sure if you listen to the, um, you know, a Tia podcast. Did you listen to the one with Ian Huberman? I did. It was so yes, good. It was so good. Um, you know, it's talking about a healthy person is going to be able to get fitter than a non-healthy person, right? So it's like, how can we get your natural biomarker? How can we get your biomarkers in a good place? Your body, like, don't come at me with carnivore and vegan yeah. and biohacking if your capacity is in the trash, right? If you look like the promoter. No. Yeah, I mean, it sounds shallow. You look like I'm not going to take financial advice from broke people. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like you need to have some skin in the game, some capacity, take some references you mentioned, but like maybe you're VO2 in the 70th percentile. Maybe your um, body fat's not the best indicator of health, but it's not not relevant, right? Yeah. Um, based on, on how the individual is. So it's, yeah. Yeah. No, this, this has been fun. And I think, you know, hopefully some of this stuff in this episode makes you curious, right? The things that you've heard us sort of talk about and go back and forth about, go off on tangents. What you can see is we don't know all the answers. We're never going to know all the answers, but we're curious to learn more and to find out more and figure out how can we refine and learn and then apply what we've learned and then do it all over again, right? Do it all over again. And then two years down the line, we're going to learn something else and we're going to change everything that we've been doing because we're, we're learning new information. Any, every day of the week, you know, and that's kind of the, that's kind of the, the philosophy that, you know, you guys have here, I have, and, uh, you know, I think it's clear you and I can sit here and talk all day, all right, day. about, about this stuff, but um, what I want to make sure we do is, you know, if someone was listening to this episode, and they became more curious by us having this conversation, now they have more questions, 
How does someone get in touch with you in order to continue so that conversation? Easiest way, um, Instagram, obviously, social media is super easy. It's at underscore Bo Ryan, B-E-A-U-R-Y-A-N. Uh, feel free to shoot me an email directly. It's B-E-A-U at V23, is in Victor23.fit, F-I-T, or shoot a general email to info at V23.fit. We, I enjoy getting questions from people. Yeah. And if, if there's anything you heard me say that needs clarity or that you um, don't agree with, I would absolutely love to hear your, you know, uh, if there's a comment section, sure. But yeah. but again, it's like looking at the thinking behind the idea is more yeah. important than the idea itself. So yeah, no, this was super fun. And um, yeah, that was great. Thanks for having me on. Dude, thanks for having me over here. Thanks for uh, carving out some time to do this. For all of you guys that listened to this episode on the code, thank you for being here. Um, and what Bo just mentioned, you know, if there's a comment section, anything like that, if you liked this episode, please go ahead, leave us a review. You know, we really appreciate your guys' feedback. Ask us questions, send me things. We want to make sure these episodes are relevant and valuable for you guys. And we want to tailor them and be curious about what you want to know, tailor those things to you so that every time you tune in to listen to us, you get something out of it. So again, my name is Dr. Andrew Fix from Physio Room. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Code, and we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks, bro. Thank you.